welcome to the Parker J. Cole Show. I am your host, the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor, Pastor Eric Reed. He is a pastor, an author, a speaker, a blogger, and so much more. But he is someone who is definitely acquainted with what I would like to call intimate grief, something that will completely change your life. As most of you know, my grandmother passed away last year. And for me, it was a life-altering, reality-shifting type of event. But so has Pastor Reed, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. I want to thank you all for your support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, click on the pink follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. And so, without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest co-host today, Pastor Reed. Pastor Reed, how you doing? Parker, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with me today. And I definitely want to give a shout out to Pastor John Fugler, not Pastor, but John Fugler for the connection. It was because I had talked to him that we connected. And he was so moved by your story. And I was so moved by it as well that I just had to use my platform to share more about you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with me today. You're welcome. I'm honored that we were able to make this work out and make it happen. Me too, especially during the holidays as it gets closer. For the first time, I got to admit, I'm kind of dreading the holidays. And I didn't do that before. I look forward to them. But like I said, you're dealing with grief, but not just grief. You're dealing with when things don't make sense. And this is reflected in your book called Uncommon Trust, Learning to Trust God When Life doesn't make sense. I got to find out where did the idea for this particular book come from? Well, as my family and I endured and went through all that we have gone through with my son, and, and we can get into more details with that in a moment, but you know, the years of walking with the Lord, asking our own hard questions, uh, reading the scriptures, trying to make sense of, you know, where is God in the midst of suffering? Where is God in the midst of afflictions? The lessons that the Lord taught us became something that, you know, and as a pastor, yeah, I'm dealing with on the ground level with people I lead as well. So not only were we searching these things out personally, we were simultaneously helping other people walk through their own issues and struggles. And so finally, was I just said, you know, I need to write down the things that the Lord has taught us and that we've been used you know, to teach others to try to really kind of lay out for folks, you know, how do we trust God? You know, we don't make sense of the things that are happening when we've prayed and we've begged and we pleaded for the Lord to move or act in a certain way, and he doesn't. Instead, we continue to endure in this thing, right? The healing doesn't come. The relationship doesn't restore. That's where really the trust levels come in. And the reason I entitled the book Uncommon Trust is because pain and suffering and difficulties are a common feature of life. What is uncommon is to find Christians who trust God through those things. And so we want to be people as marked as having uncommon trust. And that's where the idea from the book came from. Well, the Bible does say that we should be a peculiar people. How can you still trust the Lord when your loved one is gone? How can you trust in the Lord when you are still dealing with chronic illness? 
how can you still trust the Lord when the relationship that you work so hard for breaks, disintegrates, and fails? And those are some of the things I'm sure you address in your book, Uncommon Trust, learning to trust God when life doesn't make sense. And you are well acquainted with the idea of life not making sense. You know, my wife and I, when we had our first child, my son Caleb, uh, we were 24 years old. You know, we most of our lives for both of us, we have never really experienced and gone through any major trials or troubles or afflictions. You know, we had good homes, good families, you know, good childhoods. And so when we had our first son and he had some medical issues, that was the first time we were ever in a position where we had to try to make sense of like, okay, you know, like, Lord, where are you in this? You know, but then the the circumstance only escalated in severity. Our son had a bad kidney that needed to be removed. And the surgery that they needed to have was a surgery to remove the bad kidney. And we were told after that surgery, everything would be normal, right? It'd be a normal life with one kidney because, you know, you can live a perfectly normal life and not have any health issues if you have a functioning kidney. And so that's what we thought awaited us, right? You know, we'll get through this initial season of difficulty. We'll have the surgery and then life will be normal for us, except for there was a surgical mistake that happened and it changed our lives forever. Instead of only taking his bad kidney out, um, they accidentally removed his good kidney with his bad kidney. And as you can imagine, our whole world was rocked. And that would begin a process for us over the next two years of dialysis and hospitalizations and surgeries, doing treatments that they had never done on a child his size, all in service to helping to get him to a place where he could get a kidney transplant. And so we were thrown into the middle of everything. And that was the first time in my life where I had to grapple with, God, where are you in this? Like, how could this be allowed to happen? What am I to do in terms of understanding what you're doing through this? And again, because I was young and I hadn't really developed much of a theology of suffering, I'll I'll be really honest with you, Parker. I think this is where most professing Christians live is what was revealed through this about my own heart. I think many can resonate with this is that I had an expectation, whether it was ever spoken or articulated or not, it was still there. I had an expectation that because I loved the Lord and I was trying to live my life in a way that pleased Him, what the Lord owed to me and was going to give me were good circumstances and ease of of circumstance, right? He was going to prevent the big afflictions and pains from devastating our lives. And I don't know if I would have ever articulated it like that, but I did have an unspoken expectation that this is how God operated with us. And all of a sudden, when I'm told my son may not make it, and this devastating surgery that will affect the rest of his life happened, I didn't know what to do. It shattered that unspoken expectation that God's supposed to prevent those things. And God didn't. And I had to begin wrestling with, okay, then, you know, what is it that I believe? What does the Bible actually say about these things? That began a whole journey for us that would last for years and years and years to come as we try to understand what does the Bible teach? I really resonated with the words that you said there, Pastor Reed, and it brought me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, and I'm going to read from the King James Version. Most of my listeners know I love the lyrical prose of King James, and it says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And that's Second Timothy verse two, chapter two, verse twelve. And then Romans five says this, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, 
because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And so I can see what you were saying about here I am, quote unquote, a good Christian, and I'm going through this tragedy. How can God be in the midst of tragedy? How can he be in the midst of tribulation? What is the point of having bad things happen to us? I'm pretty sure those are some of the questions that you came to ask yourself as well. You said at that time, you pretty much had an okay life. Wasn't perfect, wasn't great, but hey, you know, we had good families, good homes, you know, everything was great. Well, that all of us could have similar situations. What are some of the lessons that you have learned from tragedy? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of lessons and continuing to learn them because let me share the end of the story and then I'll circle back about the things that God has taught us through our story. My son passed away two years ago at 15 years old. The story that I just shared about the kidney removal when he was two months old lets you know that the next 15 years, we had to endure a lot of different things and along the way have had to learn a lot of different lessons. And we're still learning them as a result of now he's gone. And there's other ways now we're learning to trust God. I think to answer your question to begin with, what really shook me about what happened was it revealed a deficiency in how I thought about pain and suffering and what it meant to be a Christian and what God's role was in my suffering and pain and, you know, what he was supposed to do by keeping me free of it, right? That was the expectation that I carried around until all of a sudden that illusion was ripped from me. And as I began to read the scriptures anew and searching for answers, one of the stories that really resonated with me was the story found in Daniel. And in Daniel chapter one, we see that the Lord actually gives over Israel to King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And as a result, they they go in and they devastate Israel. They take the best and the brightest of the young men and they send them off away from their homes and families. They ship them away to the Babylonian kingdom and they give them new names and identities and teach them a new language. In other words, these young men are ripped from everything they know, their homes, their families, their identities, everything's different. And all their dreams about what life in Israel was going to look like for them as they got older and had their own families. And that was all gone. And I remember reading that just thinking like, boy, I feel like that's what's happened to me. You know, everything I thought I knew, everything I I planned on and what our future looked like felt ripped from me. And as you follow the rest of the story of Daniel, you get to the story of Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego, and they refuse to bow the knee to King Nebuchadnezzar. And when they get told on, right, somebody rats them out and Nebuchadnezzar summons them to a meeting. And when they begin you know, to appear in front of him. And he says, if you don't bow the knee, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace. They said something back to him that really rocked me. They said, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us from your hands. He can save us. And I think every Christian believes that part of the Bible. We believe that God has the power to rescue, right? I mean, I mean, what God are we believing in and what Bible are we reading if we don't walk away believing that, right? We know God has the power to save. God can rescue. God can redeem any situation. He can rescue us from the fire. He can raise the dead. He can part the seas, right? We get it. We all acknowledge that. But that's not the end of what they said. They finished by saying these words, and these are the ones I never forgot. They said, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow the knee to you. Amen. And I got to be honest with you, Parker, I had never read that story at that point in my life. And I was kind of rocked to the core. These guys had a belief and a view of God that said he can rescue and deliver us. There is nothing that is constraining or limiting his power. However, even if he doesn't deliver us, which means in their mind, there was room 
for the fact that God's own prerogative might be to do something different than rescue them. And they didn't accuse him of anything. They simply said, if that's what he chooses, we're not bowing the knee. And Parker, when I read that, I read it with my son sitting in a hospital room connected to tubes and barely alive and a very uncertain future. And I remember sitting there really almost speechless going, I don't know if I've ever encountered that idea that maybe God has other reasons for why he's doing this and that it's not my job to demand what God must do in my life. But even if he doesn't heal in my son and preserve my son's life, will I not bow the knee anyway? Will I continue to be faithful to him anyway? That was one of the first lessons that I had to really begin to grapple with because I did not have a theology of suffering that included, but even if he doesn't. What's interesting, too, is that it resonates with the title of your book, Uncommon Trust, Learning to Trust God When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And many Christians do focus on the triumph of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. However, we have to remember, they didn't ask to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They were prepared for it, and no one asks for suffering. No one wants it. It reminds me, too, of Daniel in the lion's den. He didn't ask to be thrown in the lion's den, but he was prepared for it. That should be part of the conversation when it comes to dealing with tragedy and tribulation. Do you think Christians are ill-prepared for tribulation because we're so focused on triumph? Yeah, I do. I think that's a good question. And I think the answer, as a pastor now with 16 years experience and and a lot of people that I've had a chance to minister to, and I've spoke a lot outside of my church and in different places, and I will say, I do think the church is ill-equipped. And the reason for that is multiple reasons. I think it's multiple fold, but I think the issue is, is we've not developed a proper theology of suffering. We know the Bible says God can rescue and save. And so we assume that if we're good Christians, he always will. And we forget that God allows for people to go through the fires because he's got purposes we don't even see in the moment. You think about the story of Joseph, right? He's sold into slavery by his brothers and then Potiphar's wife lies and maligns his character and accuses him of something he doesn't do. And he ends up in prison for multiple years. My goodness, he didn't do anything wrong. Like, where's God? He could have asked that question. We never see that asked. Instead, he eventually ends up at the right hand of power of Pharaoh, and he's there to preserve his family from famine. And when his, when his brothers come before him and he finally reveals his true character, you remember what he said? He said in Genesis 50, 20, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And what that means is that Joseph went through all of these sufferings and pains. And yet he never accuses God of injustice. Instead, he understood that God was at work, even when he didn't know what God was doing at the time. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego did not know how this story ended. Honestly, you know, we read the story, we're like, yeah, they're going to be rescued from the fire. I mean, Parker, they had no conception that they were going to be rescued in the fire. They thought if they got thrown in, they'd burn, because that's what happens when you get thrown into fires. You burn and you die. And so it's not that we have to know the outcome. It's that we trust the God who's over the outcomes. Amen. Trust the God over the outcome. I love that. And it's particularly resonating with me as I deal with my own personal struggles, too. And I'm so glad that you're here helping us to understand and get a right way of thinking about suffering, tribulation, and tragedy. Now, I'm going to ask you to segue into something that is extremely difficult. And this show is actually going to be dedicated to a good friend of mine named Thomas Alba. I met him several years ago at a writer's conference, Pastor Reed, and 
when we met, we were looking so forward to him being on my show to talk about his book. And a few weeks before we were going to air, he contacted me or I contacted him and his youngest son had committed suicide. And it really rocked his world and continues to rock his world. So we'll be praying for him toward the end of our podcast today, as well as others. But one thing Tom said, and I hope he doesn't mind me asking you, but it's out there now. He made a point. He said, this was not in God's plan, his son's passing. He said, this was not in God's plan. And he did say that he struggles with sovereignty about this. Not that he doesn't believe in God or he doesn't trust him, but a lot of it has been rocked to the core about God's sovereignty in the middle of suffering. Can you speak to that? Where is God in the midst of this? How involved is God in these things that come about and happen or ask the way you did is to what degree is God sovereign over our suffering, right? That's the question that he wrestled through. I had to wrestle through the same thing. Now, here's where I landed, and I'll, I'll maybe give some biblical reasons why. I do a whole chapter in this in my book uh, because I think it is so crucial to understanding and having peace and trust in God in the midst of your suffering. I believe that God is completely sovereign over our suffering. Now, I think unless you strip God of his power, everybody has some degree of belief that God is sovereign over suffering. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. In one sense, you could say, does God plan all the things that happen in our lives, including the suffering that will happen through our lives? You know, maybe because he's got bigger plans and he's working through it in ways we don't understand. And I think the answer to that is yes. Now, some people don't like to say that God plans our suffering. Now, I think I can make a biblical case for that. I think there's a lot of passages you have to look at and say, you know, God was purposely at work behind the suffering of Joseph because he was putting Joseph at the right hand of power to save his people from famine. You have to say that God was sovereign over the suffering of Jesus. Why? Because the suffering of Jesus is what brought about the redemption of sinners. There's a lot of examples you can point to in the Bible where God is sovereign over that suffering because it's planned. Now, here's the other side of the coin. Some people don't like to say it's planned. They'd like to say, well, maybe they don't like to say, but they would say God permits. So this would be another example. So if I said, did God plan that my son's kidney would be removed by accident? Well, I'm okay with saying yes, but some people would say, well, you know, I think God permitted that it happened, meaning if God has the power to stop it, and I think everybody would say, yes, he does, right? I mean, the character of God in the Bible would say, yes, he absolutely has all power. If he wanted to, could he have stopped it? You have to say yes, if we're talking about the God of the scriptures. Well, what that naturally brings to the surface then, Parker, is if God could have stopped it and he chose not to stop it, then you would say he permitted it. And here's the thing that I have to point out is if he permitted it, then he is willing it to happen. In other words, he is passively allowing it to happen, which is still him sovereignly choosing that it take place. And so the only way you can get around the idea that God is sovereign over our suffering, whether he planned it or permitted it, is you would have to say that God is not all powerful. And so God is watching almost helplessly and he wishes he could involve himself and fix problems, but he doesn't, he can't. He's somehow limited or restricted. I just don't think you can read the Bible and walk away with that conclusion. So I'm okay with somebody who doesn't want to say God plans our suffering. Again, I think you can make a biblical case for it. But I think every Christian that thinks that God has all power and authority, which the Bible says he does, has to at least admit that he at least permits suffering for one reason or the another or another. Because if he chooses not to stop it, then he is indeed allowing it. Does that make sense? 
It makes sense, but I could tell people will probably just have a difficulty with that because in our minds, why have suffering at all? And why have this pain at all? So I'll give you my answer by sharing a story because that's exactly the question that my youngest daughter asked about why my son had to die. She was six years old at the moment when she asked this question. And, you know, her little mind was asking me, Dad, why did God do it this way? And my initial answer to her was something to the effect of, well, you know, sweetheart, you know, the world is broken and, you know, there's sin in the world. And, you know, that's why bad things happen. And she said, no, I I know that, Deb. Why did God allow for this to happen this way? And I said, well, you know, baby, one day these things are going to be no more, right? You know, he's going to make all things new and we're going to see the redemption of Caleb's body and he's going to be raised from the dead. And listen, Parker, this is what she said. She said, Dad, I know those things. I know that. What I'm asking is, if God's going to make the world like that one day, why didn't he just start by making it that way so that we never endured sin or suffering or death or anything? If it's going to be that way one day, why not make it that way from the beginning where we could never experience suffering and sin? That's a question, right? And here's the only answer that I can give from Scripture, but I think it's the right answer. There are things about God's character and about God's nature that without going through suffering, without being redeemed from sin, we would never know about God. If we haven't sinned and rebelled and fallen short, we wouldn't know God as merciful, as graceful, as redeemer. We wouldn't know God as faithful. If we haven't gone through suffering, we wouldn't know God as sustainer and provider and healer. In other words, it's the things that we go through in life that actually reveal the character of God to us. So that if we never had any of those experiences, then we actually wouldn't know really anything about the character of God in reality. It would all be theory to us. It's only as I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that I know God is redeemer and gracious to me because he saved me. It's only as I've suffered that I know that God is faithful, that God is comforter. How can I say God is comforter if I've never experienced discomfort? I don't. And so the only answer that I could give my daughter is, baby, listen, the only answer I can give you is that there's something about a world where there is sin and there is suffering and there is loss and there is pain that we actually learn about the glory of God and we love him more because we've experienced all those things, and yet we experience him make them as redeemer, as comforter, as healer. It's only in a world like that that we actually see the glory of God in its fullest. And apart from that, I don't think there is any other answer that we can give. I don't know any other reason why I could, how I could answer that question. And I think this gets back to what you were just saying, right? Why suffering at all then, right? And I think that's the only answer we can give. If not, then it just becomes meaningless. If not, it just becomes arbitrary and it just becomes pointless. But if God is sovereign over even our suffering, Parker, then what that means is there's no such thing as senseless suffering. There's always a God at work. And this is why Charles Spurgeon famously said, when you can't trace the hand of God and what he's doing in your suffering, you must trust his heart. I don't have to understand how he's at work. I don't have to understand why he's permitted or allowed this or planned this, but I can trust his heart. I can trust in the God who promises to work all things for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. 
I can trust the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1.11. None of this is arbitrary. He is at work, and he may not reveal to me the plan, and he doesn't owe it to me, but I can trust him. By the way, that's why the basis of my book is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. And that's where we get in trouble. When we try to lean on our own understanding rather than saying, God is God, I am not, and I trust him. And like Job, there's a time where I may have to put my hand over my mouth and say, I can't question the Lord because I don't see what he sees. I don't know what I know, what he knows. And so that's the answer that I give. And I I unpack this in the book even further, but these are hard questions. And I've had to wrestle with these for years now, 18 (laughs) to be exact. And that's where I land on some of those things. Well, I'm glad that you addressed some of these hard questions. Many people are turning back away from the faith because we don't have an understanding of how suffering, tribulation, trials can bring about so much more than when we could ever, ever know. We don't know we can get up unless we fall. We don't know we can be healed unless we get sick. And this is a dichotomy, I think, of this thing that we quite don't understand. But if a child never fail, if a baby never fail or hurt himself or got back up, how could he learn how to walk? How could she learn how to walk? If we didn't learn how to deal with certain difficulties, how do we know what we can deal with? There's so much to this that I hope people, when they pick up your book, Uncommon Trust, Learning to Trust God When Life Doesn't Make Sense. As you were talking, I just want to read a couple of verses from Romans 8. You already quoted 8. I'm going to read the first two verses before that. In verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, if we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And so in a way, it begins to all make sense. There was a gentleman who was on my show some time ago, and he said, we create airplanes knowing we create the possibility for air crashes. We create technology and the internet to connect with people knowing it can also be used to do cyber stalking. There's this odd dichotomy in our reality that we sometimes we readily accept because maybe because it's man-made, maybe because we're on this plane of understanding, but how much more is the mind of God? So yeah, I loved how you said there are certain things about suffering that lets us know more about God than if we didn't suffer at all. If we never suffered at all, we'd never know God for being the things that he is. Amen. And like you said, healer, counselor provider. There's so many things that come to mind. If we did, if we were always provided for, how do we know he's the provider? We don't. That's exactly right. So a couple of quick things on that, you know, the idea that we would somehow be better off if we had never suffered. I mean, think about this. What does the Bible say on this on Second Corinthians? It says the suffering that we experience actually makes us not depend on ourselves, but on the God who heals and the God who sustains. Paul says, Why did he give us this thorn that we might not depend on ourselves, but lean upon him for his grace? Remember, Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So I'm not going to take this messenger of Satan. I'm not going to take this thorn from your flesh. Instead, I'm going to be enough for you in it. In other words, you're going to get to see my character. You're going to get to depend on me 
And one of the lessons I've learned in these 18 years is that it's actually suffering that breeds dependence on God. And we would sometimes prefer to be more comfortable than we would dependent. And God cares more about our dependence on him than our simply being comfortable. And so there's another reason why God would, is happy to let us go through some trials because it actually breeds a need for him that we have to depend on him. And I'll give you one more thing. This may be some intellectual candy for your listeners, but I do think there's a really interesting argument to think about from an atheistic perspective. If you're an atheist, I've heard many atheists basically address the problem of evil, they would call it, right? If there is a God, why is there suffering and evil in the world? You know, if God loves us and has the power to keep us from experiencing any of these things, then why doesn't he? Either he's not powerful or he doesn't love us. That's the way they try to argue. So therefore, there must not be a God because look at the evil in the world. And they think, well, that's, you know, checkmate, right? We got y'all. Here's the problem. I want you to think about this. If the atheistic worldview is true and there is no God, all there is is a material universe. That's it. That means that there is no such thing as suffering. There's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing as suffering. And and here's what, what I mean by that. Think about this. Let your mind go there. If all there is is a material world, there's no design in it. There's no purpose in it. It's here by accident. It's going nowhere. There's no good. There's no bad. There's only what is. So when it comes to suffering, there is no such thing as suffering. There's only just what is. There's only the reality of the circumstance. You can't charge it with it's a good thing or a bad thing or a just thing or an unjust thing. It's only what is. And so the person who falls down and has a brain aneurysm and dies is no different in the atheistic universe than a jug of milk falling off the counter and spilling onto the ground. Both of them are just molecules clashing into other molecules. It's matter on matter. You follow what I'm saying? There is no such thing in that universe as suffering. There is no right. There's no wrong. There's just what is. And the reason I'm bringing this up is it's a reminder this, that there is suffering. There is a sense in which there is something that's gone wrong with the world as it should be. And you can't account for that as an atheist. In fact, you can't even appeal to suffering if you're an atheist because there is no such thing as suffering. There's only what is. In order to actually have suffering, you must have a God who's over the world, who is right and just. There must be a good, a bad. There must be a, a circumstance by which we would say, this should not be this way. And the atheistic universe doesn't have that grounding. So now the question becomes, okay, whether there is a God and suffering, the reality of suffering doesn't undermine the reality of God. So then the the question, and this is what we've been wrestling with, then if there is a God and there is suffering, how do we make sense of there being suffering in a world where God is a powerful God who loves the world? And that's where we're getting into, well, maybe there's other reasons. Maybe there's things that we don't know about what God's doing, and, and he's using suffering to teach us things about himself. He's using suffering to bring about other circumstances in the world. But don't let people tell you that, oh, well, you know, there must not be a God because look at all the pain in the world. No, if there is no God, there's no such thing as pain in the world. There's just what is, and you can't assign a value to it. Does that make sense? I hope that made sense. Oh, I love it. It reminds me of presuppositional apologetics, actually, and what you do do with that. And as I was listening, I was just resonating with what you were saying. If I had much to say, I was just listening to you really being invigorated by the conversation. And in all honesty, the way you put that for someone who is struggling with this idea of suffering, I was actually comforted by that because that means our suffering matters and it is real and God will heal our suffering. It's not meaningless. 
it means that there is something else involved with this. So therefore, if there's something else involved with my suffering, that God has a plan for it, even though I don't like how it makes me feel, I can take hold of the fact that the one who planned it or permitted it, however you want to say it, is going to take care of it. He's at work in it. He has to be, or I wouldn't exist. It wouldn't be in my life if he wasn't working in it and through it. And that's where it is. That's where we have to trust God. That's where literally it's like, okay, God, I don't have to have the answer. I don't have to lean on my understanding. I'd simply trust you with all my heart. And I know who you are. And I know your character. And I know you love me. And I know you're a faithful God. And so I will trust that you are in control of what I'm going through, even when, you know, my flesh would prefer comfort. I would prefer ease. I prefer to have my son, but now here I am. And so I'm going to trust your plans for my family. And I'm going to cling to all the grace that you give to sustain us in our grief and our mourning. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remember Romans 8:18, where it says, these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So here's what I love about that passage. It doesn't minimize your present sufferings. He doesn't say, oh, get over it, guys. It's, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be forever. One day you're going to be in heaven. I love that he doesn't do that. He says, no, these present sufferings, they're real and they hurt. They really are painful and they really are grieving and they really are heavy on us. He doesn't minimize them. He simply says this, but compared to the glory that's coming, they're not even comparable. So endure. Run the race. Keep your eye on the king. Look to the promises that he gives, and he will sustain you. And your first breath in heaven will make 80 years of pain seem as nothing. It may not feel like nothing now, but you keep your eye on the king and his promises. He's with you. He'll be with you to the end of the age. He'll sustain you. His grace is sufficient for you. He's a very present help in times of need, and none of your pain is pointless. He's always at work in it. That's what we have to preach to ourselves. Hey, man, my face is burning up. I have just been filled with hope and joy and understanding and a new perspective from this talk. And maybe, Pastor Reed, as we get ready to close, maybe through all the things you've done, that could help someone else who may be teetering on their face. Like, I just don't get it. Why did you have to take my loved one? Why did my marriage have to break? Why did my children do this heinous thing? Why did my job let me go? Why does my body have to be sick? Why this? Why, why, why? You say, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we can comfort one another with the comfort that he has comforted us in our afflictions. That's what 2 Corinthians 1 says, right? With the same comfort he's given us, we can comfort one another in our afflictions. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. When we talk about these things and the faithfulness of God with one another, Parker, as you and I talk about God's faithfulness to sustain us in our grief from losing loved ones in the last couple of years, the listeners can say, you know what, if God would sustain them in the most unthinkable, awful, grievous situations that they've gone through, he can be the same for me. And God can use that to encourage listeners today to say, hey, God is faithful. If he's faithful to Eric Reed, I promise you, he'll be faithful to you. He's not a respecter of person. He's faithful because he's faithful. In a few moments we have left, I want people to connect with you online. And so I'm just going to read out your website here. Your website is knowingjesusministries.co. Again, knowingjesusministries.co. That will also be in the show notes 
for those of you who are looking at the link here. And not just this book that Pastor Reed has out there, he also has a book called Hold the Line, A Call for Christian Conviction in a Culture of Conformity. And he also has a third book. It looks like it's called The Guardian. Is this you, Pastor Reed? It is. And it's actually a fictional book. It was written years ago. I'm not on your level for sure, but we had some success and some fun doing that book. So we'll have to have you back to talk about the book too. So I'll go ahead and get my copy and then we'll talk about having you back to talk about that. But you know about this thing. And I'm so glad that the Lord used your suffering to encourage others. Isn't that odd? Instead of bringing someone down, you actually brought me up. Okay. So imagine that. That's the the mystery, I think. We look at a broken egg and say, can't use that broken egg. There's nothing we can do with that. And all God sees is an opportunity. And we don't know how he can use that broken egg. We don't know how can he use that spilled milk. We don't know, but he does. And so I just want you in the few moments we have left and go ahead, pray as the Lord leads you. Just pray for us today. I will. Thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for this conversation. And while Parker and I are having the conversation with one another, we know that this is going to go out to many people who are going to be listening at different times and places and in life circumstances. And I pray that they would hear and know right now that you are with them. You are the God who is near and you are the God who can be trusted no matter what our circumstances. The deeper we come to know who you are, Lord, and trust in your character, the more at peace we can be with whatever circumstances you place in our hands. We know that the things that you put in our hands, we are to give back to you as offerings. We're to give back to you to say, thank you, God, for what you've entrusted me with. Even if what you've entrusted me with is this affliction, God, help us to walk with you. Help us to depend on you. Help us not to be led to despair, but to be those who grieve with hope because we know the God who rules. We know the God who reigns. We know the promises that you give us will come to pass. And we know that we never suffer alone. Thank you for the body of Christ, even through this conversation, that you can use our conversation to edify and encourage listeners. God, that's the power of your spirit at work, people, and through the truth of your word. Would you just multiply that? Multiply that in the hearts of your listeners and use this conversation in ways that we may not even ever hear about, yet we trust that you're at work through because your word never returns void. Praise you for that, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for demonstrating for us what it means to suffer in faith, to trust, and for ultimately redeeming our hopes, our souls, our eternities forever through your death and resurrection. We praise your name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ree, for that lovely prayer. And I have been just so blessed by your words. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Sounds great. I look forward to it, Parker. And we were talking today to Pastor Eric Reed. He is the author of the book, Uncommon Trust. Learning to Trust God When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Is this something that you're currently dealing with right this second? Do you need help going through the various waves and storms in your life? Are you hanging on by a thread? You want to trust God, but this is hard. Pick up Pastor Reed's book, Uncommon Trust. Learn to trust God when it doesn't make sense. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day, and God bless. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 